Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. I am joined once again by everyone's favorite data scientist, Ben Brown, today. We're going to review all of the week 15 action, including some not-so-thrilling games on Monday night, but there are some takeaways from those. And we're going to figure out what's going on in the NFL that couldn't decide how to score this weekend and has started to have some clarity at the top. So let's get to it. Ben, welcome back. Thank you. For, 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 for week two here. What I've decided this time is I think last time I was rushing through a little bit. You know, I'm not used to necessarily having the guests on the other side. So sometimes you, you know, I feel like I'm moving forward. Maybe I was even cutting you off a little bit sometimes. So we're going to try to rectify it this time and let you have your opinions and, and your takes for this show. Does that sound good? I mean, that sounds good to me. I think my first take is that I don't know if I'm everybody's favorite data scientist at PFF. I might just be like... Maybe the least controversial or something like that. But people definitely come at me for my betting takes. But that's that's really all I get in them streets about. So we'll see that. I might have to push well, back on that first one. Well, what, what I think is that all data scientists are just equally hated. Right, so in some right, ways, you're everyone's right. favorite and everyone's least right. favorite, and we're all just we're all just the same. We're part of the people are getting annoyed out in these out in the streets about these analytics conversations. Getting annoyed at both sides. There's a lot of both sidesism right, going right. on out here about the annoying people who are right. I would say about what they're saying and the annoying people who are completely wrong about their they're saying I've, I've viewed the two camps differently generally right. in life when, when I'm when I'm doing that. But some don't. So some so some want to be annoyed by us. But you know what we're going to do? We're just going to double down and be more annoying. That's that, that's what I that's what I say. That's the way it works here. Um, but anyway, so the, the format, as usually is, we go through the games. We still have two games on Tuesday night. And I went through the Thursday night game last Friday. So that leaves us with, well, let me do my, my math here. These are 13 games to go through here. And uh, we'll start with the Monday night games. We'll start with the late game, which probably got, unfortunately for, for the people out there, probably got the most viewers since it was, it was a later game here. But we have the Vikings at the Chicago Bears. The Vikings were seven-point favorites. It was a 47 total on this one. Final score whopping 17 to nine and you know i may need to triple check my numbers on this because i'm just like i was shocked by my adjusted number i think it was inflated a little bit by the fact that there were so many possessions in this game because neither team could do could do anything and that's one of the movers in mind but i actually had the bears being better by a score of 30 to 16 and those numbers are too high so it's probably more like 24 to 12 or something like that what do you think initially just right off the top could there be a case that the Bears were just actually the better team in this game, despite the fact that they had three points until their final drive of the game? Yeah, I mean, so we look at it, basically the Vikings were like, what, like negative .3 EPA per pass play. I think the Bears overall had uh, maybe just a slightly worse EPA per offensive play, but uh, the Vikings just clam up, right? It's awful watching them play uh, a sort of miserable team like the Chicago Bears. It's essentially what they did in the second half, come out, score uh, on their first possession, and then they're like three and out, three and out, rush, rush punt rush rush punt so it's just it's just brutal they just cannot put teams away and granted you know bears finally got the late touchdown didn't even have time to kick the field goal and try and you know push the cover uh on the spread or anything like that but it's been, yeah the important thing. the important like, things in the matter important. but yeah it's i mean to be honest with you i thought you know there were certain stretches where justin fields moved the ball uh decently well um not necessarily overly great i think they were what uh 
Uh, Vikings kind of cashed in on their red zone opportunities. Bears not necessarily yeah. in the same manner. So maybe that's a little bit why your adjusted scores uh, leaned in the Bears' direction so much. But not a lot of takeaway. Both these teams are trending in the absolute wrong direction for me. My only question is, like, how long are we going to hang on to this Matt Nagy business? And how long are we actually going to hang on to this Mike Zimmer business? <laughs> Island, like games. Island games have, have, have killed many a right, coach. So right. this is a possibility here. Because not only do we have the loss, we have – some sloppy personal fouls right. that ended up having this game. We had Nagy, you know, having an aneurysm on the sideline multiple times, arguing about this stuff. So, yeah, it was not a good look for him. And I think the Bears fans have kind of taken this at almost uh, just in a joking manner about some of this. It was so it was so pathetic at times. But let, let, let me dig into some of the stuff behind why I had the Bears as being valued so much. So you're right. This was a game where the Vikings were doing everything in their power to give it away, right. and the Bears were doing everything they could to Nothing. not take it. It was like a game of hot potato. They were just throwing the thing back and forth, not wanting to have any chance of getting stuck with the victory in this game. I mean, the Vikings averaged 3.2 yards per play in this game. Uh, they were doing absolutely nothing. The Bears had the ball seven times on the Vikings' side of the field and had three points right, right, before that right. final drive. So <laughs> this was actually one of these funny games. If you want to be, and this is a term I'm stealing from Daniel Popper, who is a the athletic writer for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers when discussing that game. The the hindsight vultures, which, we, which he's talking about, which I like this, is the people who just kind of swoop over the fourth down decisions and then, and then come down immediately right. when they see that someone has died based upon the fourth down decisions. You couldn't actually be critical with the fourth down decisions here because they were down by so much. But if you start doing the math and you say, hey, if they would have taken, you know, the five field goal opportunities that they had, even though they were down by so much, and you just assume the Vikings never score again right. at that point, they actually maybe could have won this game if they would have kicked every single time. So it just kept on rolling and getting worse and worse and worse with those fourth down opportunities. And you mentioned fields. I think this is probably the only real takeaway that we can get from here other than the Vikings are still in it. And we hope we don't see that Vikings team in the playoffs uh, that played this way. Right. So fields had a 72 grade, but his eBay per play was not very good. He had the fumble uh, on a rushing play early, which was very costly. His first two sacks were, I think, 14 yards each, right, which is right. impressive. Like, I don't even know how you do that, right. quite honestly. Take four, take, taking 14-yard sacks. And then on the fourth down play, it kind of looked like no one knew what was going on. He rolled out, um, and then he took another sack on that one. So my thing on, on Fields is I don't know how to feel about him. I think that he looks okay. He's showing something. But then what he's showing on the negative side, taking the sacks – poor decision-making as far as being able to do things quickly, not being on the same page as his receivers or seeming like the play is a little bit off. Right. Um, all those things coming together are probably concerns that you would have had from him before he started, but like coming in as a rookie. So the fact that those are being reinforced in some ways is a little bit more negative because you think, hey, maybe this will continue going forward. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think I do think there were some positives, and there were things that we kind of saw uh, even at the college level with them, right? Like uh, looking back Monday night, 86% adjusted completion percentage. Bears did have five drop passes. So uh, from that perspective, with an 8.0 average depth of target, like the potential is there, it seems like, in a lot of situations. But I agree with you 100%. Uh, the sacks, especially when 
especially in the manner and way that he tries to uh, get away from the sacks, is just causing those plays to be even more significantly minus EPA uh, than what they have to be. I think if he you know, could limit some of those plays, uh, he's going to be much better off because he does have a pretty decent floor with which to build off of. But I want to go back. I don't want to derail the podcast so quickly, so early, but uh, the fourth down decision-making, uh, I, I think that you touched on, is, is interesting because uh, the other side, I would say, never really thinks about um, the incentives that happen when teams actually do kick those field goals. And that is something that we try and take into account. And that's something that, you know, Eric Eager, uh, Dr. Eric Eager uh, from the research and development team, yeah, at PFF, sure doctor, doctor got to get the doctor in there. But that's something that he kind of talks about quite a bit, right? Is like the incentive changes when teams kick field goals versus not. So maybe that's a point where uh, the Vikings end up getting more aggressive if the Bears pr- maybe potentially sell for one or two of those field goals. But uh, they were down so much already. Uh, it probably didn't matter. But I do think that is something to at least consider in the fourth down decision making that a lot of people just gloss over if, if, they, if like you said, they are like the hindsight vultures and just kind of swoop in there. Uh, yeah, to make yeah. well, I, I don't think this game actually falls into that. Right. I don't think anyone was arguing at the time when they were not moving the ball at all that, you know, the Vikings would never score again and so on and so forth. Right. But I just thought it was a little bit interesting there. And again, when it comes to, to fields, it's just something to, to look going forward. I know that there became the, there was like a whole thing in the offseason where I think some people got scared off of criticizing fields after Dan Orlovsky uh, you know, relayed some anonymous information about his work habits, and then it became like a whole thing about sabotaging right. behind his back, uh, you know, tropes about black quarterbacks and so on and so forth. I mean, I, 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 I'll tell you that I've talked some people who would know about in, you know, in the NFL about Justin Fields coming out. I mean, there's a reason that he did slip in the draft and whether it's correct or not, or it should have happened or not, I don't know, but he was getting, you know, he was getting hammered by, right. Uh, by old coaches in college, I think mostly in Georgia, for some of these things about, you know, and then when he ha- when he's on the same page as receivers, you start to wonder about that. Um, our friend over at uh, The Ringer, uh, Ben Solak, he had something about how he's never on the same page with any of his receivers, and that was more posed as a fact that, you know, maybe it's a coaching issue, something like that. Well, I mean, if you have four or five receivers who are on one page and then you have one quarterback who's on the other page, like it starts to see there's like a common denominator right. here that goes on. And if you're not seeing it with Dalton, you have to start to wonder about those things. Um, but again, it, it's really early in his career, so you're, you're not you're not burying anyone. But it is a little concerning if it's the same sorts of things that are coming up over and over again. Definitely, and I think and I think you bring up a really good point. And I think we'll probably get into uh, my question that pertains to that overall concept here a little bit later. So I'm just gonna you know potentially wait on asking my question, but I do have a follow-up question uh, to that regarding Fields and potentially another uh, rookie quarterback that I know you want to discuss here a little bit later. So I think uh, waiting on that, once we get to that game, I will drop that and see what you kind of get your feedback uh, and thoughts on that on that side of it for sure. So, Okay, let, let, let's move on to the other Monday night game. This is the Vegas Raiders at... The Cleveland Browns, uh, Vegas, this was all over the place. Right. I think it ended at three points once it was established that Nick Mullins would be the quarterback. Uh, 41 and a half total on this one. Looking at my numbers, and let me see if I can actually pull this up here. Because, again, I'm going through some of these numbers first thing. This was a game that moved here. So according to my numbers, uh so the, oh, sorry, so the game ended 16-14. The Ve- uh, Vegas wins on a, on a last second field goal. I had it 24-14 towards the Raiders, primarily because of the fact that 
they were just more successful in this game. They, they had a more successful offense. The uh, the running game in particular was just really, really, really bad for the Browns. And I think that's maybe something that people are focusing on Nick Mullins and his inability to move the ball in this game. But the bigger factor for me was that the, the defense did what it had to do f- for the Browns, but he couldn't really lean on that running game at all. I have a 20% success rate, uh, negative quarter point EPA per play, which are both you know, in that 10th percentile type of range. I mean, Mullins wasn't great, but he was more in like the 50th percentile for EPA because he got some juice on that fourth down conversion they had at the end. So, you know, the running game just failed them there in the, in this one. Yeah, definitely. Negative .25 EPA per, for, for the Browns uh, rushing the football. Raiders actually had a positive EPA on rush attempts, 25 rush attempts. So that's obviously where they yeah, run they, the they game. Yeah, they had a lot of trouble running the ball earlier right, this year, too. Right. They, so they, they did pretty well this year. Yeah, game. definitely. I think that was kind of where they won it, right? Because they were negative EPA uh, per passing play for the Raiders. Uh, and like you said, uh, Derek Carr heavily under pressure. I think they had, you know, 20-plus pressures uh, from the Browns' perspective on Derek Carr. So no real success. Success uh, in the passing game to speak of for a whole lot for the Raiders' perspective, but um, yeah, this was a game where obviously the Browns' deck was kind of stacked against them. Like you said, line moved out to basically plus three uh, for them. They did end up covering that closing spread, but and had an opportunity to win, you know, outright. Unfortunately, they didn't, so uh, they are kind of buried here in the playoff race. But yeah, just an ugly, an ugly carry forward game. Uh, kind of after that Sunday night debacle, it's just been a little bit of a bloodbath from you know an NFL product perspective here in some of these island games. So yeah, yeah, this was this was painful. This is extremely right. painful to watch. Uh, Mullins just did not look like he could get the ball down the field. But then again, you know, he's throwing to Donovan Peoples-Jones right. is like his number one target uh, going down the field there. So we didn't have a whole lot to go on. Um, what I want to talk about in this one is, you know, there's a fourth and five, which, of course, the, the hindsight vultures, they had to pass. They had to pass by on that one because it scored. So they, they can't. They have to look for some. It wasn't a dead body there. What I really want to talk about is the last sequence that the Browns had it because, the discourse that I'm seeing, and I'm a little bit plugged into what's going on in the brownosphere, if that's, that's not really a word, that but is I'm going to throw it out there. <laughs> the dog pound, uh, whatever whatever you want to call it, the, uh, the Twitter dog pound, is that the question, and I think this is a, a good question, I think it's a question we should, we should consider, is really on that third down. So they had it third and three. So their sequence on the last drive, first and ten, they run the ball, they pick up two yards, I believe. Second and eight, they run the ball. Chubb has this like second effort, which gets them into third and three. Right. And then on third and three, uh, right before the two-minute warning, uh, Vegas calls a couple of timeouts. Uh, before the two-minute warning, I think it's two thirty something like that left. They, you can decide: do you want to, you know, do you want to risk passing it? Do you want to run the ball, or, or do you risk not getting down to that two-minute warning? They run the ball again. They get stuffed. They may even lose half a yard, and. They, you know, gets down to the two-minute warning. They kick it back, and the Raiders you know, move up the field fairly easily, honestly. They even got knocked back on a penalty where they would have uh, already been in field goal range much earlier than they were. So the question here, a lot of people, the Browns people are looking back, and they're saying, should you have passed the ball on that third down? And my perspective, and I, I want to, uh, this is what I want to talk about, is that like, I feel like on those sorts of plays, I like the second down pass call there because of the fact that it's a little bit less maybe expected that, that you'll do it. Um, but once you got into that third and three, I don't mind the run call because in that fourth down situation, I'm looking to go for it right, there exactly. in that fourth down situation. That's what no one is talking about. Uh, our model that we have here, our Walsh model that goes through all the, all the numbers, and Ben Baldwin's model – 
has massive win probability gains going for it. And the thing that people are, are don't really realize is, number one, if you convert, let's say you had, I don't know, a 40 50% chance of converting. If you convert, you win. Most people figure that out, right? There's no timeouts back for the Raiders. But the problem is people associate a failure to convert with a loss. Right. And that's not really the case. I mean, these numbers may be high, but both Baldwin's model and our Walsh numbers had it exactly at a 40% chance of the Browns winning if they fail to convert. That seems a little high to me, but they had three timeouts. Um, and most teams in the circumstance that the Raiders are in, what they do is they don't they don't pick up a first down. They run it three times. You burn the three timeouts. They kick the field goal. They're up by two. You have the ball back with almost two minutes just exactly. needing a field goal yourself to score. So that's the part that people aren't looking at. People are saying, oh, we get it. We convert. We win. But then they associate a failure with a loss when in reality is punting it away to another team with almost two minutes left to go that only needs a field goal. That is more <clears throat> likely a loss than not. Right, definitely. They, they never want to take into account that side of it, right? They want to. They, they basically right. consider the punt – as a win when it really is not even close to win, right? It's still maybe even less than a 50% proposition. So I agree with you. I think, you know, the overall overarching ideas that people want to label with analytics is you just have to be aggressive and you just have to pass all the time, right? And I agree with you on, you know, these third and three, third and four, third and five situations. Uh, Running the ball can be an effective option, especially if you're willing to go for it on fourth down. I don't know why they didn't go for it on fourth and three of the Browns from that time. I would have obviously really liked to see it. I do think if they pick up even one yard on that third and three run from Nick Chubb, they do end up going for it. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I do think that is the way uh, that you want to see your coach and team uh, kind of put teams away. I don't think you want to punt and rely on your team to need a stop, especially when that team only needs a field goal. So I agree with you 100%. That is kind of, you know, where that is definitely where the math leans in that direction. I do think rushing the football with Nick Chubb is probably the right decision on third and three. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, he was tackled for no gain in that spot. But uh, if he picks up even one yard, uh, I do think they are going for it on fourth and two and probably icing the game uh, at that time. So it is a little bit yeah, of a yeah. frustrating sequence, but I agree with you 100%. So. I mean, if you think the discourse was bad after the Chargers game, right, they would have right. gone for that and not, and not picked it, it oh up. And then, uh, you know, field goal and then not being able to score on the other end, it would have never stopped about right. about how awful of a decision was. So I think, I mean, there are a couple of factors for the Browns. It is like fourth and three. I could see just optically you're like, no, like right. you're just right, right, right away. If you're more than two, you're saying no, despite the fact that there is a, still a lot of juice to game in that fourth and three. So I can see that. Number two. Just remember, Kevin Stefanski was not there. Right. So we had the special teams coach. Oh, those guys love punting. Those, I mean, look at Passaccia. <laughs> look at Passaccia on the other end. He's gotten up there. He's like anything more than fourth and like the, 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 the uh, like a hair yeah. thread. Anything more than that is off the board for him. Right. So. So you so you had the special teams coach for the Browns in there. Who knows what their process was going into that? Right. Like, how well does he work? How much have they worked on him as being like, okay, I'm going to integrate these numbers and I'm going to think about it and so forth and so on. Would they have gone with it with Stefanski? I'm not sure because I do think, I do think it's difficult in that spot. And again, you're the you're the backup head coach. You're the you know one game head. You don't coach. want to lose the your game. Right. Playoffs. Your playoffs are on the right. line, right? right. So like you're you'll be forever associated in a move where. And we are saying that you have a less than 50% chance right. of converting this. You do have a less than 50 So you're most likely going to fail. So you're going you're gonna to say yes to a move that you're most likely going to fail. It's a really tough spot for, uh, who is it, Pfeiffer? Is that, is it, that's, yeah. a, that's the um, 
That's the so former Vikings guy, I believe. They uh, all are former uh, Vikings uh, guys, unfortunately. Former <laughs> Vikings guy. So tough spot for him. <laughs> tough spot for the Browns. I think they're probably in that like ten to maybe fifteen percent right. playoff probability. But they also have a tough schedule coming up with the Packers now coming up on Saturday. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding for them. So my my Browns, who I, I put myself as part of the team last week, now I may have to peel off and then and then jump onto another not another bandwagon uh, here. But uh, tough sledding for them and just an unfortunate group of circumstances. But the Raiders are still alive. Right. So I, I don't expect a whole much. Like teams you want to play in the playoffs, I think the Raiders would probably be one of those teams I would want to play in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you 100%. I do think Derek Carr is having a good year, but they're outside of Derek Carr. Uh, pretty much a disaster defensively, you know, along the front four, Max Crosby, pro bowler, uh, you know, leading the NFL in pressures, those sorts of things. He's he's definitely a playmaker, but they are probably the perfect team uh, to play in the playoffs if they can get in. The only thing I'm thankful for, they did cash over six and a half win total. I think they were, you know, after their hot start, obviously uh, it felt like a lock. And then, you know, you look toward the end of their schedule, it looks like they could potentially lose out and finish with six wins. So thankfully, uh, you know, the Browns came in heavily influenced by COVID, but they still got over their win total, thankfully. So uh, I guess betters are happy in that regard, but we'll see. We can move on. Maybe you can maybe you can be, uh, you know, on the on the bandwagon of like the, another AFC North team, like, you know, the Ravens or something, I think would probably be your next best option, right? Yeah, who knows? I'm, I'm not so confident in them what? either, though. <laughs> going forward. So we'll see. Let's get into the rest of the games. Let's go back in time here. Let's go back way back to Saturday, which seems like a lifetime ago, um, where the New England Patriots at the Indianapolis Colts. Great atmosphere, great atmosphere in this game, by the way. Playoff playoff atmosphere. Uh, the Colts, surprisingly to some, including myself, were a one-and-a-half-point favorite. It floated around that one-and-a-half, two-and-a-half sort of range. It uh, 46 total. The Colts win 27-17. My numbers actually have, again, this has been a very strange week for me. I have many teams that lost looking better according to my adjusting numbers. This is one of them. New England Patriots 18-14 really? looking a little bit better. And this was, wow. and this was a, a loser for me because I liked either taking the Patriots at plus 2.5 or a little bit slightly better, maybe the money line at plus 120 on this one. And what we saw here is... You know, a handful of big plays and a Patriots team where, in my opinion, you know, I've always been low on them on a lot of these games. I've, always, I've been saying a lot of the time that maybe they weren't as good as the final score because they were benefiting off of turnovers. They were benefiting off of big plays. They were benefiting off of some fluky long runs like they did against the, the Bills. This time it was flipped around on them. They gave up the 67-yard touchdown run to Taylor at the end. The, the Bobby Okereke interception, which is an amazing play right. that was made by the Colts a blocked punt for a touchdown um, against them. And then Carson Wentz, he only threw 12 passes. Three of them were turnover-worthy throws. One of them was an interception. Two dropped interceptions. Worst PFF grade of the year for any particular game here. Um, And the last little thing here is that the fourth down decisions, again, the Vultures are going to have to keep circling on this one. And nowhere to go because the Colts were three for three on three fourth down and ones, including in their own end with the lead where they picked them all up on sneaks. And you would expect them to get either two between two and three of those. But you get a little bit of juice, obviously, converting all three of those, no matter how likely it looks like it looks like a certainty with Carson Wentz doing that. He's not going to convert 100 percent of the time on those short ones. So they had all those things go right for them in a game where they 
couldn't pass the ball at all. Five of 12, like I said, Wentz was passing the ball. So for all of those reasons, New England actually ended up looking a little bit better to me in this game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not it's not overly surprising when you look back on it. I do think it felt like the Colts were kind of in control of that matchup the entire game, which is kind of how they play, right? I mean, uh, obviously Frank Reich, a really good uh, schematic play caller. I know we don't want to talk too much about you know play calling and those sorts of decisions, but he continues. <laughs> okay. You can, can you can talk about the play he consistently. Call. He consistently ranks really well in EPA on scripted pass on scripted offensive plays to start the games. You look at it first quarter fourteen zero, uh, and, and the Colts are kind of leading and they're kind of doing whatever they want, and that thankfully took Carson Wentz out of the game quite a bit, right? Because uh, they were at what negative point six EPA per pass play uh, for the entire game, so. Uh, defense rushing the football. I don't know if it's necessarily all that sustainable, but they, I think they kind of beat the Patriots at their own game, and they are just like uh, I would say a little bit better at every single facet than what the Patriots are right now. So I think the Colts are kind of a sneaky, sneaky team. I know that's you know a popular opinion coming out of the Saturday night matchup, but I do yeah, think Frank Reich, don't want to face you don't, don't want to face him, especially in a cold weather game in the playoffs. Right? That's the, that's what we're hearing. But I don't know. I think Frank Reich is my coach of the year candidate right now. I know he hasn't necessarily really seriously elevated Carson Wentz to be like a top five, top 10 quarterback, but they haven't needed that so far, right? They probably will need that uh, at some point in the playoffs. Uh, but right now, I think I think that looking at this team, uh, they are greater than what the some of the parts are. I think especially defensively, uh, what did they have, like 18? Uh, how many pressures did they have? 21 pressures against Mac Jones. So got, you know, caused some havoc in the, in, you know, in the, in the Patriots backfield. So, uh, I I like the Colts here. I like the Colts at minus two and a half. I did have them early in the week as a pick them. Uh, you know, you talked about oh, the Jonathan. Wow. You talked, to, you talked to about head. the Jonathan Taylor run. I mean, how come we, you always mention the ones where you're against me? Where you're, you're we, I thought we talked about. No, we, we, did, we didn't talk about this one last week. <laughs> yeah, this was one of my favorite yeah. spots on Saturday for sure. Uh, unfortunately, Greenland didn't really love it, but I had some early look headlines on it. But yeah, I will. I will never mention any that we're well, opposed to here. My, after my the Justin fact. never say you're wrong, yeah. so maybe you should just. That, they don't pay me Venmo. out though. Can, they do not pay me out. Unfortunately, you could Venmo. You could Venmo me that that money. Okay, well, I want to talk about Wentz a little bit, and then Mac Jones. Okay. also a bit because okay. perceptions coming out in this game I mean Wentz was bad everyone saw he was bad and I think there also became this thing of like who Carson Wentz is and he's had a little bit of a weird season I mean there's going to be an ups and downs to right. everyone's season and when they started cold to start this season the first six games of the year Carson Wentz only had one turnover-worthy play that entire time. He's had other stretches where he's gone multiple. He's gone three, four weeks with only one turnover-worthy play. And then he has a few games here, including this game, where he gets like three, four turnover-worthy plays. I think another one was against the Slop Fest against the 49ers. That was also an island game where he was throwing some ridiculous passes that should have been intercepted. So I think maybe some people see him as being a guy like – I know you say you don't want to face him in the playoffs, but I think there's also the view that you can't get through four games and win a Super Bowl with him because of the fact that he's going to give the ball away too much. I mean, in, in this game, I was, you know, as an analytics guy, I was like, why are they throwing the ball at all? Like, right. do not let this guy throw the ball. Right. He's trying to give it away. But at the same time, Carson Wentz has had stretches where he doesn't turn the ball over. So I think so. that would be my first thing on him. I think he can maybe have like a hot four-game stretch and not necessarily be this turnover-worthy play machine that we saw here. Number two for Mac Jones, I thought it was good that Mac Jones came back, but I also think, you know, it helps in your perception in these spots where your defense gives up nothing. Like, it helps 
it helps your ability to say, oh, he may like like if if the defense gave up another two touchdowns to the Colts, we wouldn't be talking about the comeback and the fact that Mac Jones was able to come back. They still finished the game with 14 points. Right, right, yeah. To go to the Carson Wentz thing, you know, he was bottom five in turnover-worthy play percentage heading into the week. Obviously, you said, you know, he had the three turnover-worthy plays, but I think it goes back to this mentality of where are we and how are we evaluating these guys? And are we evaluating them, you know, at their floor performance, somewhere in the middle, at the top? And I do think, you know, us, we're trying to fold in all of the different uh, elements to what makes up their entire season and career. And I do think uh, game in and game out, we can probably expect Carson Wentz to take care of the football a lot better than what he did uh, here on Saturday night. So I think that is the reason why I do buy into the Colts as at least being you know, somewhat of a legitimate contender in what is otherwise a pretty ugly AFC outside of the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, that's my takeaway yeah, yeah. on it. I, I mean, do- they, have the, they have the two other phases, right? right. They have the running game. And uh, they have defense. The defense that, that could potentially, right. that could potentially all get you know, hot at once. Right, which isn't sustainable. And, yeah, you don't necessarily want to rely on it. That's not how we would rely on it from team-building perspective. But I'm in the – I trust Frank Reich. Uh, I do buy into them. I do buy into what he's kind of put forth here for over the last two seasons. So from that perspective, uh, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them being somewhat successful. And I think they might be my, my team in the AFC. And if you want to jump ship, Kevin, leave the Cleveland Browns, come over to the Indianapolis Colts. Maybe uh, maybe there's an opening for you on the bandwagon I'll right now. I'll think about it. So. I'll think about it. They're, they're, they're in contention. In contention. They, they, are, they are in contention. All right. Uh, let's move on to another big game. Uh, let's go Sunday night. So let's go through all the Island games here first. Let's go to Saints at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This the Bucks twelve and a half point favorites in this one, forty five and a half total. Another thriller, thriller. another thriller here. Nine zero Saints. Uh, my adjusted score actually has it fifteen fourteen Tampa Bay. Again, wow. another one of these weird wow. things where I'm seeing it as being as being closer than it was. So there's a lot of things to discuss here. There were injuries. There were storylines with Brady and not being able to do anything against the Saints. I think the most important thing we need to discuss is from your perspective, okay, let's say on a scale of one to a hundred, when I laid out last week the series of events that could uh, transpire leading to Aaron Rodgers, MVP, and Brady not doing well in this game. So on a scale from one to a hundred, how how amazing was my prediction and then the results of this this game where, where, where do you want to let's talk about that first that's the most important thing that is the most important so, thing where I would, would you give me i a, would say it was off the charts i would say it was off the charts i think in your we're going we're, in your best we're breaking analytics yeah, we're breaking analytics we're going above 100 you broke the school you broke the scale for sure 110 120 one of those gave 150 percent. i would say for sure uh but yeah you, you hit yeah. the nail on the head i don't think maybe even in your wildest dreams uh, could, yeah, could both games have this. played out quite as well as they did, but they definitely played out basically perfection. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, congratulations to me. Did, if people don't know, uh, gratuitous self congratulation <laughs> is unfortunately a big part of of what of what we do here. But you know, I, I'd also point out when I'm wrong. It just happens that I'm right a lot more often right. than, than I'm wrong. Right. So there's right. just the way the the way the cookie crumbles there. Um, okay, but let's talk about why I have the Bucks as being slightly better. Uh, I mean, they had all these big turnovers. And again, turnovers, maybe you could say that they are forcing them. They do seem to have some sustainability for the fact that the Saints and the Bucks have faced each other five times now since Brady has been with the Bucks last year. They have held them to negative EPA per play four of those five times, even in the fifth game, the playoff game. He was muted in his production, and they had a chance to win that game here. Um, now, the question, another question I have for you is, according to our friend Ben Baldwin and, and his bot here, 
he does a good job compiling season-long information, game-by-game information on win probability lost by game. So he has Bruce Arians, since he's been tracking this stuff, which doesn't go all the way back to the beginning of his stats here. I think it says it goes back to 2014. As the most win probability lost on fourth down decisions in the history of uh, from 2014 till now, almost 30% in win probability lost, including the most egregious was a fourth and one at the Tampa Bay 41. They were down by six points um, and they had almost a 9% win probability in there with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter and they didn't go for it. But that was just one of many here. Right. So Arians is a stone cold boomer. Right. Like this is 100%. boomer boomer. He's he's maybe the worst in the NFL. So my, my question for you is, when do we start worrying about this? Because they won the Super Bowl, so it's hard right. to say we're worried about the 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 boomerness, the boomosity of uh, Bruce Arians and that Kangle. I mean, the Kangle is a dead giveaway for for a boomer, right? Um, what so what do we think about? Like, are we scared? Are we want, are we scared about him and his decision making, especially when the margins are going to get a little bit tighter here? If Mike Evans, of course, Godwin's out for the season, Mike Evans is going to miss a few weeks. Antonio Brown could, you know, who, who, knows who, knows, who knows what? Who knows? Yeah. Who, <laughs> go crazy. Who knows? Right? Who knows? Who knows what he's going to be doing going forward? He, he's like, you know, a fifty percent chance that he ends up being out for one reason or another. Are we concerned about this Bucks team, who most people, including myself, considered the best team in the NFL, at least coming into this game? Yeah, I mean, I am, right? And I do think we have seen kind of the writing on the wall with Bruce Arians and his fourth down decision-making for quite some time. Like you said, Ben Baldwin basically tracked it back to 2014, has shown that he has been the worst in those sorts of situations. And we see it play out uh, quite frequently, and it is a sign of... Uh, a coach not necessarily putting his team in the best position to win football games. And that's really, you know, all we're asking of. Uh, and there, it does come down to a few crucial decisions throughout the game that we can actually evaluate, right? And I think that's one reason why you don't necessarily like focusing on the play calling situations and actually evaluating that because it's something that we don't really have uh, probably the perfect window into in order to analyze correctly. So focusing on some of these other things that coaches can potentially do well or drop from a win probability perspective is key. And Bruce Arians hasn't really been all that great in a lot of those a lot of those scenarios. And, you know, coming to Tampa Bay, he was supposed to be a little bit of this play-calling, passing game guru. No risk that, it, no, no biscuit. No risk it, no biscuit. What that sort that? of thing. And it's, you know, maybe maybe he has, like, a cholesterol problem or yeah, something. Just He's just, like, trying to know, tone it down. I'm out. Trying to tone it down. No, I'm I, out on the biscuits. And it is interesting. And you talked about the margins decreasing significantly, right? And I do think that, you know, a team like the Packers are looking like the team to beat in the NFC right now. Last year, uh, in that NFC Championship game, it was Matt LaFleur who, you know, had the fourth down decision-making uh, that a lot of people questioned in that situation. Uh, and I think that, you know, we could easily see that role kind of reverse this year if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, even make it that far. But I'm questioning, you know, how productive they're going to be uh, heading into the playoffs here, especially with, you know, a triage of wide receivers that all have, you know, significant question marks here at the end of the season. So uh, I'm with you. I don't, I've maybe been a little bit lower uh, on Tampa Bay than what you have been, than what, than what the market has been. I have been on the Packers, at least from a betting perspective for the last Brown, few weeks right again, here. Right again. Right again. Hey, I'm wrong, this is the right again. Uh, you know, got it, got it a minute when we're right here. That's for sure. So, uh, but, yeah. but we'll see. I could be wrong on that, but I do think the Packers are the team to beat. I also think the Cowboys, uh, if they can, you know, figure some things out with Dak offensively, I think they are a team that could potentially knock off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well. So they're vulnerable. What, what's your kind of takeaway from this one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to swing too far in either direction. So I think there's vulnerability. The biggest factor is the the Chris Godwin 
injury because that's not you know they're, they're not going to get that on board. Um, and I think the thing with Arians is just a little confusing when you consider like how good the offense is also that he's so conservative on these like they have that ability to juice a little bit more but a a, a real reason that I'm not going to get too low on the Bucks right at this particular moment is number one I thought that this was you know within the realm of possibility that this or something like this can happen we've seen it happen many times before it doesn't derail their their chances and number two they got Panthers Jets Panthers for the rest of the season so Get right games, you know. get right spots, right? That's what they <laughs> yeah, it's call like, them. So. It's, it's get perfect. Right. So th- even if they don't get that number one seed, it's basically like three half bye weeks where you're, right, you're, you're, right. you don't even have to prepare that much. Maybe you can really be ahead. I don't think the loss of you know playoff Lenny and, and, the, and the wide receivers is going to be that much of a factor if they're out for a week or two. Um, the other guys, so – you have Antonio Brown coming back, so I, I think they can get through, and they can get through a 3-0 and on those games, and it'll put them in a dif- decent position going forward and getting healthy into the playoffs. So, yeah. again, not going to move up, up or down too much. Going to move marginally, though. I'm going to move marginally up, down on them, marginally up on the Packers, but I'm not quite making those equals at this point. Okay. And speaking of the Packers, let's talk. Packers-Baltimore Ravens at the Baltimore Ravens. Packers nine-point favorites with Tyler Huntley starting. 45 total, so, eh, you know, okay. Totals are pretty low, but teams did not really show out. But in this game, they did. They did. 31-30, to 30, the Green Bay Packers win. My numbers had the Packers being a couple points better, a little bit lower, lower scoring, 27-25. And this is the fourth down decision at the end. Again, analytics, we're going to have to get into that. Maybe maybe we'll, we'll step back a little bit on that. Um we saw the Roger. Rodgers had another strong game. He actually graded worse than Tyler Huntley, if you believe that, in this game. But his EPA was was extremely strong, um, and he's been piling up these consecutive victories here. What I thought was interesting for the Ravens, and I know that they were down, so this contributes to it, but they had a 73% uh, dropback rate right. in this game, which is 7% over expectation with Tyler Huntley. And he was passing the ball pretty well. It wasn't off of the charts, but he was doing pretty well. But yet they were running the ball well also. They had a 67% success rate, which is very, very high versus only 51% passing. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. Maybe they didn't really have – they had to you know catch up that second half. But even in the first half, they were skewed – I think they had about a, they had a 65% dropback rate in the first half, even when the score was was tied. Right. So I thought that was a little bit interesting there. Um, and the question, okay, we have to get into is the fourth down decisions. I think this is going to take a little bit of time to discuss. Let's look in a vacuum here at that last call. We're going to get into the real mistake, which was the touchdown before. But in that last call, do you have any overarching opinions on whether or not they should have gone for two? If you're in the situation where you're down one with 42 seconds, I believe, on the clock. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd like to see I'd like to see it under 30 seconds to really go uh, to really go for two in that situation. Obviously, it incentivizes the Packers quite a bit if they do get. Uh, the two-point conversion with 42 seconds left. I just think that's way too much time, probably on the clock uh, for Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, but but I can see it from both sides, right? Backup quarterback, really banged up team, uh, maybe didn't necessarily even belong uh, with that opportunity to end the game, anyways. In a lot of ways, uh, in a lot of situations. So uh, I don't 
I don't I don't hate it, but I don't think I would have necessarily gone for it, given mainly the fact that I thought there was too much time left on the clock, especially for a guy like Aaron Rodgers to be able to go down there and kick the field goal uh, and and you know mute the whole situation. And and from my own personal perspective, I did have the Packers early on and in a teaser, which I did lose. Uh, because they did end up going for two here. If they if the Packers would have won by two or more, I would have been a lot more happier. So from my perspective and the Ravens' perspective, I do think they probably should have uh, just kicked the extra point here toward the end of the game. But I'm curious your thoughts. Obviously, yeah. obviously the decision ben, is to uh, Ben Brown's first loss first of the loss season. Of the season. So, it happens. Uh, it happens. So, <laughs> so condolences on that one. You had a good run. Um, yeah, for this this last one, I think it was kind of a coin flip. I think there are four different. Okay, I was I was playing around with trying to figure out. You know, how, how do you figure out whether you should go for it? Right. Or not? I mean, there's four different in these situations where it's really one play is is highly determinative. What's going to happen You're near the end of the game? You can think of it in this way that's not totally opaque. A lot of these things are opaque when it's like, well, you go for it earlier. You're down by six with 12 minutes left in the third quarter. What's the win probability for the other team? You, you can't really think about that, that that solidly. This one, you can really think about four different factors in my, my mind. You can think about. Some people say, is your, is your probability of converting higher than your probability of winning in overtime? Right. And if it is, then you go for it. Well, that's not quite right because there, there, there are two other factors that come into play. Not only is there the probability you're going to convert, the probability you'll win in overtime. And in this case, I do think their probability of conversion was higher than their chance of winning in overtime. Right. It's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 45% conversion. Uh, some people had it lower, but I think with a running quarterback, it helps in those situations. And the probability of winning in overtime, I think we had it about 40%, 39 40%, because of the fact that they were this nine-point underdog. So it's going to be tighter than it would be for a full game because of the randomness that comes in. But that's, those are the two things. Now, the two other factors, and these are the factors that, like you're saying, how much time is left factors into it, is the probability that if you do make it, if you do get that two, that... The Packers get a field goal on the other end, whether the game is tied or whether they're down one. And a lot of people's justification for saying they should have gone for it in this circumstance is there's no difference. Like Aaron Rodgers was going to go for the field goal no matter what. I've heard that a lot on the comeback. It's like, well, I don't think that affects how Aaron Rodgers uh, uh, applies the next drive. I'm going to get into Maybe I'm being a little pedantic here, but there's a big difference between I don't think it has – a meaningful effect. I don't think it has a big enough effect, and I don't think it has any effect because guess what? It has an effect. Definitely does. Okay, yeah. if you have the ball with forty something seconds left and one timeout, and you take a fifteen yard sack on first down, and then you throw an incompletion, and it's third and twenty five, and you can just run out the clock by taking a knee. Guess what? You're going to do things differently if the game's tied than if you're down. Right. If you're down by one, right. like you're going to still try to score if you're down by one. Now, again, that's a little bit of an extreme circumstance, but I'm using that to illustrate that there is definitely a difference. Now, the question would be: so that's what this really hinges on. This decision is how big of a difference is it? How big of a factor is it there? And the more time you have left, the more likely it is that that will be a bigger factor because that team can really be aggressive and get down the field and score. So that's that's. That's the one thing that I want to point out here is I think we can – this is kind of a coin flip, but let's not say it has no effect on on what Aaron Rodgers is going to do on the other side. We know it has an effect. We know teams are going to play differently, especially in particular circumstances. Right, right. 100%. I mean, that that was kind of, you know, the idea that I was trying to negotiate with or, you know, represent is like 
the the incentives change so much for the Packers whether they kick the field goal or whether they kick the extra point or actually get that two point conversion. So uh, to say that you can't factor that in the decision making process is just uh, you, uh, you know a, a bias that you shouldn't introduce in that sort of situation. So I agree one hundred percent. I do think. Uh, so what time period would you need in order to say that they probably should have gone for two there? Yeah, I don't know. It's really tough because again, it depends a lot of, a lot on these assumptions here. I mean, with the assumptions that I have here, it's probably closer to twenty five seconds. But again, it's not a huge deal. Like I, I'm not really disputing this one. I'm not disputing the decision as much as I'm disputing the people saying, "Well, you have a better chance of winning in uh, making the conversion than winning in overtime." So therefore, that's what that's what you should do. So I, I'm disputing that a little bit now. I think what has to be talked about is, is you know, my, my, my pet thing that has become a thing in the NFL, something that the Ravens have done multiple times in the past, and that is why they did not go for two on the touchdown before that right. with four minutes and change left. And especially if you're going to go for two in the end, because it's pretty simple here. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit, there's, there's some nuance to it, but the, the simplicity of it is if you go for two, on the last one, if you fail, you know, if you make it, you have a chance to win. If you fail, you lose. You're done. You're 100% going to lose if, if you fail on that conversion. So if you shift that conversion up to the touchdown before, if you make it, you kick an extra point on the last one, you're in the same exact position as converting at the end. So there's no downside. You're not losing anything as far as your upside is concerned. If you fail on that one you have another chance on the final touchdown to go for two again and then potentially tie the game. So you're giving yourself that little extra chance that you don't have. You can't go back in time if you fail on the final one and say, you know what, that last touchdown, I'm going to go for two on that last one instead of uh, kicking the extra point. And that's where you get the extra win probability on that. It's something that he's done before. Harbaugh even said, I saw a quote of him, that he did question himself after that. He doesn't know what happened. I don't know what happened on that one. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was planning on just going for two extra points because he wasn't confident in the offense scoring. Right. And then he changed his mind by the time they get the, the offense started rolling and they got near the end of the game. I'm not sure. Uh, but that was the big mistake. And really, you know, I, I'll give him credit. I'll tip my cap a little bit that he's admitting that he made a mistake. But... He knows this. Right. This is not this is right. something he's done multiple times before. He has someone in his ear. He has uh, uh, my man Daniel Stern, I believe, in his ear telling him what he needs to be doing on this one, telling him that it's a pure, easy game. There's no – there's like no, no matter how you flip around all the different numbers on here, there's no way to come up with a scenario where if you're a bad offense in converting, you're also a bad team in winning in overtime, so therefore you don't want to go to overtime, so therefore you want to do this. Right. There's really no excuse around that one, and that's the one that I think – should be focused on more while we're calling this last decision an analytics decision when it's a coin flip. Right. The, the real decision that they made was a coin flip. This was an obvious one that they missed. Right, definitely. Well, I, it, it's 100% it, right? And we're kind of evaluating, like you said, after the fact, we're evaluating like the residual outcome of a situation that we probably shouldn't have even been in, right? They would have made the correct right. decision right away. Uh, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Uh, they probably would have. Well, they could have missed the first one. They would have been going right. for two again. They right. would have been going for two again, though. There, they right. would have had the chance. same opportunity. And even on that right. play, yeah, I mean, you, you, again, play calling. We don't get too much, too, too much. But you know, his the play was to go to uh, Mark Andrews, who was dominating right. th- that game. But even on that play, you know, Marquise Brown was streaking wide open. He didn't quite go over to a second read again. You don't want to get into it. But he's a rushing quarterback. He would have had a decent chance of converting. So I think right. that's that's kind of. Uh, 
the big thing that I want to point out from this one, and let's let's talk again uh, Rogers' MVP talk here. So he's gone from a 15% win probability last week, plus 600, when, you're, when your boy said that he looked like a value. Now on DraftKings, at least, he's plus 125, 42%, 43%-ish win probability. Brady has gone from 60 down to plus 175, right. so even lower than Rodgers at this point now. Rodgers is first in EPA per play. We didn't really talk about much about, again, his continuing success. He's fifth in grading. He's still a little low in grading, which I'm surprised by. Joe Burrow is number one, by the way. Did you know we'll that? get into that later. We'll get into that later. So. I'll quibble with that a little bit. And then Brady is now second, so he's off. He's off of his perch where he was way above everyone else in right. grading, and he's ninth in EPA per play. So... I think Brady's saving grace could be compiling, just compiling against those teams that we saw, because I think that could be the thing that people aren't thinking about. I think Brady is probably actually a little bit of value at this point, because I think what people are not thinking about is the fact that when we get to the end of the year and Brady has these like record-breaking type of numbers right. or very close to record type of numbers, that's going to make a difference in the discussion. Right, right. After just beating down on the Panthers, Jets, and Panthers. Right, yeah. Like you said, the end-of-season schedule form is obviously going to help quite a bit. Packers are a little bit more uh, difficult to finish out the season. But uh, from, my, from my angle right now, I do think whoever ends up actually winning the NFC number one seed, I do think is actually going to be uh, the MVP. Okay, so the Packers NFC. have the inside track right, on that. Right. Packers have the inside track on that, but... Slightly. Slightly. Not, not, not as much as what, what people may think. And I think people might be overplaying a little bit how much the injuries will affect the Bucks, Bucks because, right. again, they don't, the, the schedule is, is looking pretty nice. Right. Okay, let's talk about an important game, but an ugly game. This was actually the Romo-Nance game on, on CBS. Uh, the Tennessee Titans at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh finished as a one-point favorite, 43.5 total, so uh, ugly offensive expectations. And they fulfilled all those expectations yes. and then some. With a 19-13 Pittsburgh victory. Again, another one of these games. This does not happen that often that I had these adjusted scores that are that different. And again, I guess I didn't really explain the adjusted scores that much, so maybe I'll just dive into it here. It's looking more at success rate. It's adjusting for turnovers. It's adjusting for special teams. Everything. More sustainable sort of stuff. 2014 Tennessee is is what I have on this one. This was, you know, Tennessee ran for 200 yards. The Steelers, I don't think they had more than 170 total yards. They had like 20-something yards rushing. It was just really, really, really ugly on this one. And the Titans just continued to turn the ball over, over and over and over again. They had uh, a tipped, uh, a ball tipped to the line that was a pick, a strip sack. Now, Tannehill's good for like one of those every, every couple of games. Right. Uh, two fumbles after the catch. So two catches that were then fumbles. Um but if you look at the EPA per play, the Steelers were way down in the 7th percentile. They couldn't do anything. And the Titans weren't great, but they could run the ball. They were in the 23rd percentile. So it was just a very, very strange game, a very ugly game. Um, what, what was your takeaway coming out of this? Because the Steelers are alive. Browns lose. Steelers are alive. Ravens are losing. Are the Steelers going to make the playoffs? No, I cannot, God, we hope I cannot get on board that bandwagon whatsoever. I do, I do, I do think, you know, Forget the bandwagon. We're trying to stop it. We're trying to stop stop it. Yeah, we can stop it, right? I think, like you said, according to your adjusted scores, uh, pretty unsustainable play from the Steelers. They did get, you know, high pressure percentage on Ryan Tannehill, but four four turnovers, one turnover on one turnover on downs for the Titans as well. So they were the more productive team offensively, I would say. Uh, this didn't just didn't score in the second half, right? So uh, I I don't buy into the Steelers here making it anywhere close to the playoffs. I do still think the Titans are probably a hurting team limping into uh, the playoff picture. But 
it's it's ugly. I, I I can't live in a world where the where the Steelers end up winning the AFC North, much less getting in as wild card team. So whatever we can do to stop that, uh, I am fully on board with here. I'm wondering what 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 do, what do you think we actually need to do to potentially stop that from happening? I don't know. I don't get know. out on I the mean, field and like play a, some. A Tanya Harding. I would say a Tanya Harding right. situation. But, but to who? Uh, to who? TJ Watt. Big, or Big Ben kind of looks like he's already right, had multiple. Right. Uh, and the thing was funny about the Steelers too is. You know, they showed a little something in that comeback against the Vikings. People are like, oh, maybe the Steelers' offense is bad. Right. No, no, again, just the small Vikings. samples, people. Yeah. Small samples. Yeah, that was, was going down here. Now, I'm going to look at I'm looking at a New York Times simulator here because we don't have our updated playoff numbers until the week is left. It has a 19% chance for them to make the playoffs. They play the Chiefs, the Browns, and the Ravens. So, again, really, really tough schedule. If they can beat the Chiefs next week, it goes up to – about 45%. Right. If they can beat the Browns. If, if they win out, they're yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um, if they win two out of three, they're still only like a 60 70% right. chance. So, yeah, we we got we to gotta be rooting for the Browns to get healthy, the Ravens to get healthy, and to win those games. Because 20% still way, way too high right. for, for my liking. Right. For my liking right now for, for, for the Steelers. I don't even know if the Ravens or Browns have to be that healthy to beat the Steelers, though. So uh, that's my takeaway on it. I think, you know. I don't want to risk it. You don't want to risk it. No risk it, no biscuit. I cannot risk I mean, I've been, I I've personally risk. been pretty impressed with Tyler Huntley. Uh, as the backup quarterback for uh, the Ravens, so I'm more worried about everybody else surrounding. Oh yeah, there, there's uh, some you know, the Ravens, the Ravens quarterback. There's situation. some Huntley takes. Is there? I saw, I saw, I saw a. Um, hey, this guy, we're, we're, this, we're paying this guy nothing. Should we really pay Lamar Jackson, right, you know, right. forty million they're, they're a year when we can get the same product? So I thought that one. That was one take. Uh, another take was who would you rather have for the next? I don't know if it was three, four years, something like that. Tyler Huntley or Jalen Hurts. That was that was a take here. Now you might want Tyler Huntley. Look at you. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm saying no to both of those, but the takes are there. So one more good game for Tyler Huntley. And it's and, on. Well, you know what's interesting? I'm gonna go back to the Ravens and the Tyler Huntley thing. Like having Lamar in a way, in a strange way, gives you an additional benefit of being able to get good backup quarterback fit. play. Right. Because you can find guys like Tyler Huntley much more easily than you can find. Someone, like if you have Tyler Huntley on another team that runs a pass-centric offense, it's just not you're not going to rearrange right, your entire right. offense when he comes in. But the fact that you can slide him in and get a higher level of play, in a way, it's a va- it's a, you, you think that maybe that detracts from Lamar Jackson's value because of the replaceability, but in a way, it actually gives having him as your starter gives him some more value right. for the fact that you can replace him more easily. Right. Anyway, it's, it's a little bit, I might be galaxy braining that, but um, it's a little bit of something to think about. No, I think it's really intuitive. And I do think it is a really good point. Cause like, you know, Tyler Huntley undrafted quarterback could get, you know, him off the streets and the, the way that he produces, obviously he is the perfect fit as a backup in this Baltimore Ravens offense. So I think, I definitely think you might be onto something. I don't think that's quite galaxy braining. Uh, I do think it is a pretty good, you know, synopsis for why, you know, building a team around a guy like Lamar Jackson makes a lot of sense for an analytically forward-looking team like the Ravens. Yep. Okay, let's get into some ads. I've kind of I've been neglecting our sponsors, our, our many sponsors. First sponsor would just be PFF. So promo code unexpected, guys. You want all this information that we're we're talking about here, all the numbers, all the stats, all the green line, betting info, all the fantasy football information. I'm gonna have a lot of showdown content coming up here with the playoffs in the front view. Promo code unexpected. Show the bosses that you love the pod. Right. And again, if you want to go out there and if you're like Ben Brown and you can just 
be undefeated pick in winners. betting markets, pick winners. Winners. then DraftKings is your place to go. Tis the season of giving, and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a Christmas present you won't want to re-gift. That must be new copy here. I don't remember that. Uh, new customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas and win 150 in free bets if they're victorious. Why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket? If the sportsbook is not available in your state, DFS is probably. Millions of dollars available for you with your first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team on Christmas Day. Win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. That's promo code PFF. This Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wagered, one per customer, restrictions apply, see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we'll, let's, let's, get through some, let's, let's get through some slog here. Some ugliness. Uh, Panthers at Buffalo Bills, Buffalo 14-point favorite. 43-and-a-half total, so we were not expecting too much from the Panthers here. 31-14, uh, to 14, the Buffalo Bills win. I had a little bit more narrow at 22-12, according to my adjusted score here. Um, interesting and highly consequential injury pregame to Zane Gonzalez. So they had no kicker for the Panthers, and they went one for five on fourth downs, and they went for on fourth down a lot. So that's why... Their number, you know, it was a little bit thinner of a margin here. Only a 58 grade for Josh Allen. So Allen was did not play extremely well, even though they ended up winning in this. I don't think it was an encouraging performance. It was definitely a worse performance, I believe, than the 17-point point differential that they had there. But I don't know if I'm really concerned either way for the, for the Bills going forward. They needed this W in the worst way with the Patriots coming up. Do we care at all about the results of this game? I don't. I don't. I still think, you know, heading into this game, if you thought Josh Allen had, you know, slightly regressed in the 2021 season, the Bills maybe not playing uh, quite as well as expected offensively. I think you still hold on to that. If you didn't buy into that, I definitely think there might be some things to build off of. But uh, we're going to find a lot more out about the Bills here in Week 16 than what we got from the Panthers in Week 15. So my only takeaway is... Uh, I think Carolina might be time to rebuild. I think it might be time to move on from Matt Rule as well and, you know, see what happens. <laughs> they're, re- they're rebuilding just in 2020. <laughs> yeah, they, it's, yeah, it's 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 looking ugly there. Sam, uh, Sam Darnold, I'm predicting a Sam Darnold sighting sometime before the end of, before can't, the, end remember, of the year. Remember, that's, what you, that's what you have to look forward to. Doesn't it feel like years ago when Panthers people fans. were, like, trying to build up Sam Darnold as being this, like, revelation at quarterback for the Carolina Panthers through like the first two or three weeks of the season. That feels like yeah, well, decades Sam Darnold's done that already. a few times. Right. He would have like, he would start to get hot in like week 14 every year. Right. People would be like, Oh, next year, this Sam Darnold next year. So he flipped it this time. And he, he gave us the goodness at the beginning of the right. year and then fell on, fell on his face afterwards. Okay. So let's go to the Atlanta Falcons at the San Francisco 49ers, your Atlanta Falcons. You love the Falcons. I do. Um, I do. This was a loss uh, for me. This was a loss for me. I'll admit it right away. That's all I want to say about this game. Nine so. point favorites were the 49ers, 47 and a half total, 31 to 13 San Francisco. And my adjusted score had it exactly the same point differential, but a little bit higher for both teams, 35 to 17. I mean, it was a dominating performance. The, 49ers, I mean, there was some bad stuff for the Falcons on not being able to convert on fourth downs, but then they also got a fumble right on the opening kickoff. It was the most impactful play of the game. 
The Falcons are are done. The Falcons are done. Right. Thank you, Lord. The Falcons are, are done because they were truly a team that everyone wanted to play in the playoffs. And I want to turn this into this game review. Unless, unless you, you can take another direction. If you want to mourn for the Falcons, you can do that. But I want to turn this into a Jimmy Garoppolo appreciation okay. time okay. here because I mean I've been on this Jimmy train uh, again. Just uh, sorry Leading for anyone who wants again. to skip. That wants to skip forward for 30 seconds. Gratuitous self-congratulation is on is on the lookout here. This offseason, I even said, you know what? This looks a little bit like a Chiefs 2017 situation where you have a good team. You have a team that's playoff caliber. You have a quarterback who, in my opinion, I think like he's even a little bit better than Alex Smith. He's kind of like a tier above Alex Smith. You have weapons, right? You're going to have Ayuk coming back, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Like You have a team that can win, and if your team is winning, and if your team is in playoff contention, you're not necessarily going to turn it over to the rookie quarterback, especially the rookie quarterback who did not play the prior year who doesn't have a whole lot of experience, and so on and so forth. I was told that that was ridiculous. I was told that they were going to trade no matter what they were posturing, they were going to tr- they were going to get rid of. Uh, they, had, they would have had to straight up cut them. I don't think they right. can trade them. They're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo before the season happened. Everything else. Well, things have have played out this way. I don't think there's any chance that they're going to flip over to Justin Field. I mean, to uh, Trey Lance. They're not even using them on a on a uh, specialized play basis. And again, Jimmy keeps on moving up. Ninety grade on this play. 0.5 EPA per play, zero sacks, zero turnover-worthy plays, 10.2 yards per attempt, 83% adjusted completion percentage if you add back in I have it his hot, drops yeah. there on the on the adjustment. I have it higher so, than that even, actually. Yeah, he was 87% okay, adjusted so, completion percentage. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, might, you might have had it higher. I, I take out some of the, the, the no plays on here. Um, but, again, even when I've been defending him on the in the Twitter sphere, I have people coming back to me like, oh, you know, Nick Mullins and, and C.J., Beat hard, we're pretty good too, and uh, yeah, I mean Jimmy has been either second or third, depending upon how you look at it, in EPA per play behind Mahomes or behind Mahomes and Breeze since 2017. Mullins and Bethard, when they were both on the 49ers, were basically like 29th, 46, right around zero the entire time. And I agree, they're not great quarterbacks, but still, there's this whole thing of Jimmy and wanting to replace Jimmy and the, the Jimmy haters out there. In my opinion, people look at this sometimes as being evidence that, like, yeah, if he's doing this well, imagine if you replace him with someone else. But at the same time, for me, if you're getting quarterback play only one notch below Patrick Mahomes, like, don't you start to think that's gonna be that's a really high bar to get to no matter who you're putting in there at quarterback. I mean, I don't think a Shanahan is a magician, and I think the things that Jimmy does – Things that I've mentioned on this pod, things that Shanahan actually backed up in his press conference was he said he's really, really good at throwing into those tight windows. It leads to some ugly, ugly interceptions that people want to kill him for sometimes. Right. But it also helps with yak, and it helps convert those third downs. So for me, just a little bit of a Jimmy appreciation hour, and I'm, I, we're going to have to start having the conversation because this is maybe like a top five borderline type of team here for the 49ers. We're going to start to have the conversation if they can make a little bit of run in the playoffs of do they trade away? Jimmy Garoppolo in the offseason when you still have him under contract. Um, we don't know what's going on with Trey Lance, right. but it's not encouraging that, that he hasn't you know sniffed the field other than the one week where Jimmy was injured and he didn't look very great, right. very good right. when he was out there. Yeah, definitely. They were trying to get him involved early with some of those goal line packaging and stuff like that. It sounds like they didn't necessarily want him to be 
focused on that during practice time throughout the week, so maybe wanted to get him in the more traditional offense. So that's why we've maybe not seen him uh, whatsoever. But those weren't, weren't really all that successful. But yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo has by far exceeded expectations, not only in this game, uh, but in 2021 uh, overall. So do you think... You know, you said the 49ers top five team in the NFL. Obviously, they're, you know, on the doorstep of being close. in the playoffs. I don't know if they're quite there. Top seven. Can, top seven can you, So, and you talked about tears with Jimmy Garoppolo. Can you win a Super yeah. Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback? I mean, you could definitely win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo right? at quarterback. The question, well, you I don't know win if that's a Super Bowl with yeah. Eli Manning at quarterback yeah. you know, twice. That was a different a decade. With, that was a different decade. With Trent Dilfer at quarterback. <laughs> you can win a Super Bowl with a lot of different guys at quarterback. So, he give, I think he I think everyone is like so focused on that playoff run where they were yeah. able to hide him and people focused on him being hidden in those games against the Vikings and the Packers but like those are complete blowouts. Right. I don't think it's it's not like they and you could say they hit him a little bit more against the Chiefs maybe they did but there are a couple of plays there. I know he missed Emmanuel Sanders on on a big play. Maybe Emmanuel Sanders, you know, get a little up there in the age in the age model there. He needs to like maybe speed up a little bit on that one too. Um, a couple plays go a different direction. They win the Super Bowl, and the whole narrative is flipped right. around, in my opinion, on on Jimmy Garoppolo. So as long as he's giving you that type of play, I think they definitely can get there. Could he produce second behind Patrick Mahomes EPA per play if they were running a spread uh pass the ball around offense like no of course not he's, he's not getting there but he can right. execute to what to what they're doing so i think he's plenty good enough to win a super bowl like i said i think alex smith is on a tier in a tier below what what, what jimmy can do and the, the the move to say we cannot win with alex smith no matter how good some of our regular season performance may be we cannot win with alex smith i think makes sense to say we're going to trade away th- three first round picks to get an unknown we can't win with Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, did not quite meet the bar. If they wanted to draft another quarterback in the first round or, you know, move up for Justin Fields or do something like that, they would have been right in that range. That's fine. That's fine. But the move that they made for me was too much considering what Jimmy has been able to give them in performance, which, again, in my opinion, if you don't have enough to surround him with perfect defense and perfect running game, um, is enough to to win games. Right, right. And we've seen that play out. And we've seen that play out here, right? So. Uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think that is kind of sounding like the team that you might be switching uh, your allegiances Maybe I will, to. Here, but then so. I, I'm kind of a Shan, Sh- I'm Shanahan hater. Yeah, well, that's right. my other factor on this. Right. I feel like the Shanna stands out there are really like they have to have someone to blame. Right. So it's Jimmy becomes the guy that right. they can that, that they can toss on. And again, you know, QB QB wins. You don't want to get into it too much, but you especially don't want to get into it when comparing for different teams. But this team. Um, I should pull up. I don't have the exact numbers here, but there's something like 29 and 13 with Garoppolo, and you know 12 and 25 with oh, everyone right, else right. since since 2017. So it's on the same team. So the QB wins thing works works a little bit better there. He's had some injury problems, and I know they were concerned about that, and that was part of the draft pick. But I don't think he's like necessarily plays the style of an injury prone type of guy. Right. I think it may have been bad bad luck more than anything else. Um, okay, so that's my Jimmy Garoppolo appreciation hour. I'll expect my uh, a check in the mail. Uh, Jimmy's making some good money there. He is. Uh, okay, let's okay. Let's talk. <laughs> this is another one we could probably get, get through pretty quickly. Texans at Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville five and a half point favorites against anyone. This is absurd. Against anyone was absurd. crazy. It moved up multiple points. The Urban Meyer effect. Maybe now we have evidence 
to say Urban Meyer, they missed Urban Meyer. Right? Minus two and a half. <laughs> they actually, yeah. I mean, that, that actually was, was a good coach. Uh, yeah, so they lose 30 to 16. I actually, again, this is another one of these games. I have too, so many of these games this week where I have Jacksonville being a slightly better team because wow. Houston benefited from a kick return touchdown. It benefited from two long Brandon Cooks touchdowns. And wow. the the uh, Jaguars had better numbers generally across the board. They just were not able to convert on those. And those were two big plays that pushed Houston ahead. Uh, do, do you have anything to say about the game? Did you watch this game? I, I, can, I can safely say I did not watch this game. I was maybe <laughs> going to plan on watching it later on. I am still you Brandon, didn't see Brandon Cook court, stand, uh, ro- but You didn't want to see a rookie battle where you have this like up-and-coming – you know, maybe he'll continue to start next year, quarterback. And then you had the generational talent. The generational Davis talent, of Mills. course, being Davis right, Mills. Right. And the, and the up-and-coming, maybe should we stick with them or should we have stuck with Minshew, uh, Trevor Lawrence in this game? Yeah, I did not I did not see it, unfortunately. Brandon Cooks continues to deliver from a fantasy perspective, which is something you love to see. Uh, but my main takeaway is uh, I think if you ever say, oh, the betting market is rational, uh, you can always look back at this game with the Jaguars basically moving out from three to five and a half after canning Urban Meyer and then kind of getting uh, boat raced a little bit here on Sunday. I don't know. I, I didn't watch it, so uh, I do agree probably a little bit with your synopsis. But the fact that uh, the spread moved so much after the Urban Meyer news, I think, was just uh, a reaction to you know noise or fluff or something else that just is, uh, makes yeah. it not necessarily yeah. all that rational. So Yeah, yeah. This uh, Bevel, God, did he have this sequence? at uh, pretty early in the game where they had it third and 10 on the 11-yard line. The Jaguars had it. They run the ball, third and 10 on the 11-yard line. They pick up seven yards. They start to look like they're going to go for it. They call a timeout. Then they kick a field goal. And then on the next – and this is already down 7 nothing. And then on the next kickoff, they give up the kick return touchdown yes. and they're down 14 to, yeah. 14 to 3. So it's like if you're running the ball on third and 10 from the 11-yard line, like, what's your threshold for going right. for it there? Seven yards is not enough? Like, what are you hoping for? Right. Are you hoping to convert that? Like, uh, I don't even mind the run necessarily that much as, like, a trick. Like, okay, we're going to get, you know, maybe six, seven yards and then and then go for it on the next play. But then they didn't even do it. And um, yeah. Trevor Lawrence, uh, let, let me. The, the most interesting thing about what's going on with him is, okay, since, since week nine, so we're on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks – one touchdown pass in the last seven weeks for, for Trevor Lawrence. One touchdown pass. Now, he hasn't been turning the ball over a lot. He only has five interceptions, four of them in one game uh, last week against the Titans. But, yeah, that was not, not looking so hot. That was a miss by Time me, to too. Going. You want me to point out my losses? I did have Trevor Lawrence over 1.5 passing touchdowns. I figured he had to be due right but just based on that stat that you said. <laughs> Uh, but that did not work out. Oh, whatsoever. the doofer factor. The doofer yeah, factor. The, the doofer. Big part of, of the analytical work. Right, if you want to get right. more of that great analytical work <laughs> from Ben Brown, pff.com. He's dual. Unexpected. He's dual. Uh, okay, let's talk about analytical maven, analytical coach of the year, Dan Campbell. Let's talk about Dan Campbell, D.C. here. Arizona at Detroit Lions. Arizona, 12.5 point favorite, 48 total. Detroit dominates 30 to 12 right. my adjusted score 34 to 19 so a little bit actually eh, a little close, bit more yeah. narrow but about the same best bet here for me i had detroit pl- uh plus the 12 and a half and i should have had a money yeah, line. Should've should've sprinkle money that line money line man you gotta sprinkle the money line. uh so golf torched them he only he right. only 45 percent pass rate and the pass rates have been very low for 
the Lions since DC has, has taken over the play calling duties there. But 90th percentile efficiency here. And let, let's talk about DC here because I'm going to list off for you. Again, I'm just taking off of Ben Ballman's work. I like that he does, he does a lot of work, even though this is not even his full time job. And then I can just take off of what he's done here. <laughs> so I'm going to name for you the top six. No, sorry, the top seven. No, six here. Six coaches, okay, that that in the NFL as far as how often they are going for it when they should, when they have at least a 1% win probability gain in games where it's not completely decided. So the top six are Brandon Staley, Kevin Stefanski, Cliff Kingsbury, who we'll talk about him in a second right. in this one because he went, he went back to fake shark, fake sharp uh, Cliff Kingsbury here. Uh, Matt LaFleur, Robert Sala, and in the middle of these guys, the one and only Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell in the Lions. I canceled Dan Campbell because he didn't get the go for two down eight thing in the offseason, but I, I did uncancel him quickly because he's listening. He's listening to what's going on here. They went, they, they actually didn't end up trying it because they got a, um, a false start, yeah. but he was trying to go for it up 10 points on his own side of the field in this, in this game. Um, on a fourth and two on his own side of the field. He, they were trying to go for it. But let's talk about Kingsbury's decisions real, real quickly here because I'm trying to figure out who's going to be my donkey of the week, whether it's Bruce Arians who had the worst performance, as we mentioned. But he's kind of like a donkey every right, week. Right, you can't just give it to Kingsbury, him for week. Kingsbury, I'm disappointed in because he's been a guy who's doing the right thing. And then what I'm disappointed more than anything is bad process and, and not having – a consistency to what you're doing because they go for it at fourth and three down 10 near the goal line. And then on fourth and three down 17 on the 11 yard line. So again, near the goal line, they kick a field goal later. Right. Uh, And the later decision was clearly more valuable because you were down more points. So it's like, if you have some consistency in your decision-making, there is a 0% chance you should be going for it on fourth and three down 10 right near the goal line, but you shouldn't be going for it fourth and three down 17 later in the game. More time has gone by. Your win probability has gone down. Right. The upside that you're going to get from that decision. Uh, what's going on? Are we going to have to potentially cancel Cliff Kingsbury here and DeAndre Hopkins gone, everything else? What are we thinking about these Cardinals? Because, I, I, again, I don't like to push the panic button, but I, it's one thing to lose to a scrappy Lions team. It's another thing to get completely dominated. Yeah, completely blown up, right? And I do think there is an interesting takeaway because, you know, we've talked about it and other spots and other podcasts and those sorts of things where Arizona Cardinals were kind of the the trendy team to have as like the number one overall team in the NFL for a while, especially when they were the only power rankings left. They were loving, uh, but they yeah they 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 have not looked the part really since Kyler Murray's gotten back. I would say in a lot of ways, I guess you know his first game back they were okay, but Cliff Kingsbury goes back to the fact, like you said, he's just not consistent in his decision making. He has been pretty good so far here in 2021, but the framework that he had last year. Uh, is nerve-wracking, right? And there are a team that uh, is really banged up due to injury. Um, so it, I am concerned about them. I am concerned about, you know, their status in the playoffs. I don't think they're necessarily uh, even in, I think they're like probably Tier 2, Tier 2.5 here in the NFC playoff picture uh, right now is kind of where I've had them uh, ranked or stacked up basically. But it's tough. It's tough to trust Cliff Kingsbury uh, when all the lights are shining brightest, when he actually has to make some of those tough decisions and calls, and it looks like in a lot of situations he's just trying to, you know, save face. And I don't really think uh, that's what I would want from a coach. And I do think it's the exact opposite of what Dan Campbell has brought to this Detroit Lions team. I would like to see Dan Campbell kind of coaching 
a team that is expected to win and kind of see a little bit of a role <laughs> reversal and kind of see how he approaches yeah. that. Because I do think in some of his decision-making, he's going to be you know overly aggressive in a lot of ways, kind of like Brandon Staley is. But uh, so far for what he's brought from 2021 uh, from the Detroit Lions, he does he has, he has been way, way better than expected. And I'm so glad that you uncanceled him to start the season because that would have been one yeah, of the yeah, biggest yeah. mistakes. That was an egregious mistake. Right. Egregious right. mistake on, on my on my part. And I feel like Dan Campbell's one of these guys where I feel like he's like he's maybe a <laughs> floor raiser as a coach, but not necessarily like right. a ceiling type of guy. Like he can get more than you would expect right. out of a, of a troubling team. That's why he was a good fit for this rebuilding franchise. But I don't know if he's necessarily going to tune a – uh, top five right. team into being the best team in the NFL. Right. So Cardinals, you know, they're going to get in to the playoffs still, no matter what. But the bye week is basically dead. So they're really just playing for home field and not to lose their their, their home field here. But the Cardinals have this, – this is when the potential for reeling, right? This is a potential for a tailspin because they have the Colts and – you know, the, there are some big, big holes they've been giving up in recent games here running the ball. The Colts at the Cowboys and the Seahawks. The Seahawks, no matter how poorly they're doing, they'll, they'll probably be frisky right. at least to potentially win something here. So, you know, like again, I said they're going to get in no matter what, but they could end up with a road game here uh, after looking like the team that was going to be the number one seed for most of the season. So it's be important for them to to turn that around going forward. And for the Lions, they're they're working their way out of the number one pick. But this, you know, I don't think it really matters that much. You know, which it's a coin flip probably be between which one of these edge, edge rushers right. you're going to get near the top of the draft, right. uh, presuming that you're not going to take a quarterback in that range. Right, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's it's you know one through two, one and two basically looking like the top defensive you know ends in the country. You know, and, and choosing between those two, I mean. And in a lot of ways, that feels like a coin flip as well. One could easily work out, yes. one could easily not. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, building a little bit of, you know, showing what the, the lines are actually capable of, what, you know, some things to build off of for next season, I do think is kind of key. Get some, and get that some defense, off-season momentum. Yeah, the off-season momentum. I mean, the defensively, they, you know, performed really well. Had a few, you know, really big interceptions here in this matchup. So, uh, Oh, yeah, some really nice plays. Really yeah. nice plays, so. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's uh, move on to Jets Dolphins. Did not watch a lot of this one. Miami ten and a half point favorites at home, forty two point total. Thirty one twenty four Dolphins. Thirty twenty one Dolphins is what I have as my adjusted score. So a little bit even more wide here. Um, okay, li- this was a weird one because it was obviously like the. Turnovers early for Tua. Yeah, the really bad. Wilson picks. was yeah. looking. Yeah. Wilson was looking functional as he has in very limited stretches here, and the Dolphins now with this run that they've been on, I still don't think they have a good chance of getting into the playoffs. But they maybe have like a five ten percent chance of potentially getting in here. They have a little bit of a tough schedule. It's weird how schedule dependent they've been because I remember seeing them six, seven games into the season. They had the toughest schedule in the NFL right. so far that season. They were disappointing. They were going to have the easiest schedule in the NFL going forward. They've been you know, beating down on some really poor competition, and now it's going to flip back to Saints, Titans, Patriots the rest of the season. So you know, they probably got to almost win out or, or at least win two out of three of those to have a chance of getting in. I don't know if I quite see it for them. Is there anything else to, to think about for the Dolphins? I mean, no Jalen Waddle, so I, th- I wonder if that also affected – to a little bit how effect how well that pairing has worked as far as yards after catch and RPOs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I do think Jalen Waddle is a pretty significant loss for the Dolphins offense, but 
it's tough, right? I do think, you know, Tua kind of fits in this boat of how are we evaluating young quarterbacks? What is what is the what is like the threshold that we need to really understand if a guy's actually going to be good in the NFL or not? I don't know if we've reached that point with Tua or not. I think we are definitely getting very close, but I'm wondering kind of your thoughts uh, at least like when are you maybe canceling isn't the right word, but when's the time where you can actually, you know, kind of bury one of these young uh, signal callers and potentially say like he's just not going to be good in the NFL or you know on the flip side how early can you possibly know if a guy's actually going to be a legitimate uh, starter and potential you know Super Bowl contender at the quarterback position uh, throughout the course of his career how early on do you think you kind of need or how many snaps do you need to see before you can kind of start uh, some of those evaluation processes yeah yeah this I mean this hints at why I originally wrote an article about liking the Jalen Hurts pick. And I think the biggest mistake teams have is putting quarterbacks in this binary designation of this is, we know we have the guy or we don't know we have the guy. And the reality is the people who belong in the hundred percent, we know we have the guy is maybe four or five young quarterbacks that we're talking about out there. And everyone else is at varying degrees of we don't know. So those varying degrees mean, you should take strategic chances. Like if they're near the top of that, we don't know, but you still think you think you probably know. Still take strategic shots, maybe at a Jalen Hurts in the second round, or it's or at someone else in the in the third round, or maybe even someone else in the late first round if you want to go for that. And as you move further and further down, then you get more and more pressing towards needing to a, to really address that situation. So I think this is the case maybe. For Tua, I was advocating them to at least take a hard look at drafting a quarterback at number three. Right. When they originally had the number three pick before trading back there. Not because I think Tua is a bust, but because he wasn't very good as a rookie. He shows some traits as far as arm strength and you know ability to throw the ball down the field. He's not particularly athletic, even though you might think that he runs the ball. That you don't necessarily have a lot of upside from the from the traits perspective there and I don't want to rest too much on traits but he also did not look good as as a rookie Fitzpatrick was much better so I was willing for them to maybe think about taking a shot right there right right there so I think even after this season I would still put him in the larger bucket of we don't know what we have Um, I would move him a little bit further down of maybe we don't need to you know sell the farm to go and get his replacement but again if you're going to take a strategic shot at someone else I would be fine doing that the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, all that sort of stuff right. that we'll get into in the offseason. But that's where I would have him. And on the flip side of it, let's talk about Zach Wilson. Right. This is another guy that we're going to have to talk about in this regard. And I want to – I was really hoping he would play well. I was, <laughs> I was rooting. He for started to. Well. Right. He started. I know. He started, he started well. And so he's been awful. But I think what's interesting about him is – and I'm going to bring up uh, an article from a uh, friend of the pod, uh, Ben Solak, over at The Ringer, where he wrote an article about Zach Wilson, where he kind of buried Zach Wilson a little bit. It's, you know, there's a little bit more nuance than that, but I felt like the skew was very negative. And even some of, if you just look at, like, some of the words that were used on there, instead of saying that Fields and Lawrence's tape was better, he would say their tape was remarkably better. I mean, Fields and Lawrence stink too, so it's kind of hard for me to throw remarkable behind anything they're doing. It's funny, he showed a clip from Lawrence throwing a touchdown. It's like, dude, he's thrown one touchdown in the past This was the only clip. This was the only clip. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's what's bringing it up. And I think also he mentioned the statistical case against Wilson saying he's worse in every category. Yeah, but if one guy's like 33rd out of 34 or 35 – 
and the other guys are 31st and 32nd. I don't think that's like that ranking doesn't matter a whole lot to me, right? Yeah, I, I'm not really thinking that ranking matters a bit. So I, I kind of. I'm kind of being a hater a little bit here, as I, as I, as I, as I, as, you're known as, as to be once thing. in a while, right? So yeah, knowing once in a while, and hoping that Wilson will do better because you seem to have this this feeling that people want him almost to be worse than he is. So I do think there are some questions about him now. Could you turn around and say we're going to draft someone else this season? Right. It doesn't seem like a good draft to do it, but if they had the opportunity, I'd think about it. The one thing Wilson does have for me is he does have traits. I think there were still a few plays where you saw him. He can't escape well. He's, he's more athletic than someone like Tua. He's more athletic than Sam Darnold. He has a better arm than Sam Darnold. My thing with Sam Darnold was he played like he had a better arm and was more athletic than, than he was. Kind of like how Baker Mayfield plays like he's more athletic than, right. he, than he is sometimes. Where I think Wilson really is that athletic and really is does have that good of an arm. He just hasn't been able to put anything together this season. Would you be writing off Wilson at this point? No, I have not. Uh, not entirely, but I also think part of that is the fact that uh, – Eric Eager and, you know, some other people and things that I looked at in the offseason, I was probably higher on uh, Zach Wilson, yeah. even then, uh, you know, like his number two draft rank. And I do think, you know, our some of our college to pro projections and some other things were really high uh, on Wilson. So uh, just kind of resting on my priors a little bit. I'm definitely not uh, ready to write him off, although he has shown, you know, essentially nothing uh, in the NFL so far. But like you said, uh, we haven't really seen any rookie quarterback show all that much up, right? So I'm not necessarily going to write all of them off uh, this year. I'm kind of going to wait and see and evaluate it. But I do think, like you said, uh, if it was a stronger quarterback class in 2022, I do think there's a significant question on if the Jets should use uh, their top pick on a quarterback. Now, it doesn't really look like there's a guy uh, worth doing this, that highly in the draft, but I definitely think the consideration should definitely be there if they're going to like trade down or something to maybe get some more competition because I don't think you can ever have you know enough talent at the quarterback position, especially with guys that uh, fit your scheme really well. So that's that's kind of yeah, my take. Yeah, and what one thing I'll say about priors is I also think there there's probably a little bit of humility uh, that people should have with some of these priors. I think the thing is when we look at the guys who liked Justin Fields and didn't like Zach Wilson coming out, and now they they analyze the evidence. Their prior is Zach Wilson is is worse right. than Justin Fields. Is their prior now? Even if our personal prior could go either direction, I think you cannot ignore. Maybe you can discount, but you cannot ignore the fact that the Jets Zach Wilson was taken by the first team who could take him who could not take Trevor Lawrence. Right. Right? So that that that's where he was. I don't know. We don't know for certain if other teams were willing to go up and get him in that position or not, but the Jets were not willing to move off of that for, for certain, um, whereas, you know, with the Dolphins moved off of the number three pick. So if you look at the teams that were not willing to take, if we put in the same bucket, not willing to take Justin Fields, but willing to take Trevor Lawrence, right. the same bucket that Zach, that Zach Wilson is is. So the Jaguars don't fit in that, but we have the Jets, we have the 49ers, we have the Falcons, we have the Bengals, we have the Dolphins, Lions. the Detroit Lions, the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos, the Philadelphia Eagles, and then we get to the Chicago Bears where field they traded up into that spot. Other teams could have traded up right. into that spot too. Right. Presumably uh, the Patriots could have traded up in that spot if they really wanted to. Presumably, the Raiders could have traded up to that spot if they really wanted to. Presumably, the Washington football team could have gotten up into that spot if they really wanted to. The Giants obviously could have been in that spot if they really if they really wanted to because they're the ones who who had traded out. Right. And 
when you consider all of that, I don't think you could just you just can't ignore that as part of your analysis. You can't just hold their their tape and their uh, great and their grades and their stats side by side and say we're going to just view these equally in our evaluation. Right, right, one hundred percent. I mean that is and that is basically it, right? And that's even if you think the NFL is full of idiots, right? Which which which. <laughs> Full of idiots, no. But there's got to be someone smart in all those organizations right. that I just ran through who 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 believed right. that Fields was not worth drafting at that point. Right. So right. priors matter. That's all yeah. I can really say about priors. Sure, priors so. matter. Priors matter. Uh, okay, so let's get into a couple more games here. We got two more games left. But before we do, last sponsor of the day, Western and Southern. Want the chance to win an ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with us asking questions. Would you like to know what's behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernandsouthern.com slash askchris. And if you're watching this on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Okay, last couple ones to get through here. Uh, Dallas. So this would be an interesting one, actually. Dallas at New York Giants. Dallas 11.5 point favorites. We had the Fighting Glennons on the other side, and then the Froms make an appearance. Uh, 43.5 total, 21 to 6 Dallas. 25 13, a little bit more narrow, was my adjusted score. So the Dallas is basically like the Chiefs, maybe were a while ago. They're just a defensive team now. Right. The offense has gone away, and they're a defensive team. Just nothing explosive for the Cowboys. Dak dropped back 40 times, and they had 217 yards right. on those 40 dropbacks. Um, well, what are we thinking? Because we, 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 let's worry about the Cowboys first. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Daniel Jones is going to be shut down for the year. So props to Evan Silva, who mentioned on the Establish the Run podcast that um, – who was it? John uh, Mara, the, the owner of the Giants, his carpenter was supposedly said John Morris Carpenter said Daniel Jones was out for the rest of the season multiple weeks ago. He said he wasn't going to come back. That was that was what he not that it matters for any practical purpose, but I always thought, I thought that was a little funny storyline that Evan Silva with his inside information that, Evan is, from John Morris Car- Carpenter. Uh, but now Jones is officially gone. Um, what's his name? Gettleman's gone. Wait, Joe Gettleman's, Judge, I guess, is going to survive. Gettleman's well, gone? He's going to be gone. Okay, I was he's going to say, I'm not, like, okay. I'm, okay. He's not officially gone, but he's dead he's man walking way, at this right. He's dead man walking at this point. Um, so, Judge, I guess, is going to survive. I don't know much to say about the Giants other than the fact that Devontae Booker averaged half an EPA per design run and Saquon Barkley averaged negative .3 right. EPA per design run. Right. <laughs> Booker had a 50% success rate to uh, Saquon's 25 so you can't tell the difference between the two. The announcers can't tell the difference between the two. That's a troubling right. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, perspective they're, for them there. Their one big like rush play basically was like on the fourth and a couple yeah. inches or something like that. Sweep out to the left, Devontae Booker, and that was like their one big explosive yeah, play. Yeah, and the announcers were like, Saquon Barkley right. like, takes nah. off. It's like, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, buddy. Uh, fooled you. Um, well, well, let's talk about Dallas. Right, then. right. I mean, Dallas has actually moved up in the standings relative to some others, but. I don't, I don't like this defense. I don't like this you don't defense. Don't like the defense. First. 
I mean, I, I like that they're playing well, but I don't like them being a defensive team. Right. I mean, I especially well, don't okay. like them being a defensive team. RIP to my fantasy team in the first week of the playoffs with uh, had a Dak, Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb there. Uh, I, I don't like this team, especially right. after Dak was looking so good offensively to start the season. Yeah, so this is my takeaway. Third quarter, basically, uh, Cowboys had the ball. Third and seven, I think they were basically in the red zone or near the red zone. They ended up rushing the football to get it to like fourth and four, fourth and five or something like that. Uh, in that situation, you'd expect after the rush attempt that they probably would have gone uh, for it on fourth down. They ended up settling for a field goal. The next drive, they get down there, same area. It's third and three, um, and they end up driving back to pass. Dak Prescott gets sacked, uh, loses like 16 yards, 14 yards or something like that. They end up kicking the field goal again. I just think some of like that decision-making, especially on third down, setting up those fourth down to go for it opportunities with Mike McCarthy uh, hasn't been great. I do think they would have put up uh, you know, quite a few more points if they would have had better options in the red zone uh, specifically. But I think they decided you know, we can rely on some uh, field goals. We can rely on our defense to beat uh, a Mike Glennon-led New York Giants team that has no business playing whatsoever with us. So I would like to see them uh, you know, be a little bit more aggressive in those situations. I think they hopefully will be. Uh, you know, We have seen Mike McCarthy do that previously, so maybe this is just like an outlier performance from his perspective. But I do think they left a lot of points on the board, uh, specifically offensively. So I think maybe uh, they aren't as bad uh, in that category as they are. So I think you know, seeing the fact that they are... Uh, they were really strong defensively. I also think helps them long term. So I do think they are uh, still one of the better teams in the NFC playoff pitcher. I would have them probably as you know my third or fourth uh, best team here, and I do think that they are uh, definitely capable of beating uh, anybody on the path to the Super Bowl right now. Yeah, I think fourth is probably pretty uncontroversial. Maybe even above the Cardinals. Yeah, now I would have them above is, the Cardinals. Is, is, yeah, is slightly is is not as controversial as it would have been. So I, I can give you that. Um, it's funny you mentioned Mike McCarthy in the offense struggling. I'm thinking a lot about Kellen Moore recently because this is yeah, a golden yeah, boy. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. was looking like he was. He and Joe Brady have both have similar arches, kind of career uh, arches, declines yeah. here now. And then you have names like Byron Leftwich moving up the pecking order for potential uh, head coaching guys. Whereas I feel like Moore was one of those guys. But maybe maybe it won't matter that much um, if they're struggling here. Maybe Moore will still be on the cusp of potentially getting a job this offseason. But the shine is definitely off a bit right. on that offense, and they need to turn around right. uh, here for me to feel a little more confident at least. Right. Okay, last game of the day. Cincinnati Bengals at Denver Broncos. Denver three-point favorites you could get it at. It was a two-and-a-half most of the time. Um, 44 total, 15-10 Cincinnati. I actually have it 21-12 Denver. So, again, one of these weird ones that's flipped around in the other direction. And – I had a best bet, though, for Cincinnati plus three or plus 130 on the money line. So I'll, I'll, I'll catch that. Yes. And you like that also. I love that. That was you my like that, that was my favorite play, I think, of the weekend for sure was Cincinnati money line. So I also this like the over. Game. I like the over in this game, though, too. So I, I can't, you know, oh, yeah. only sing yeah. my praises basically right now. But it is. What yeah. It is, yeah. So, so yeah, that, yeah, that was that was a didn't help when Drew Locke came in, although Locke did not completely poop himself right, out there. So right. I'll give him I'll give him some credit there. This is a weird game where the special teams was actually really good for the Bengals. They were three for three on field goals. They had a 58-yarder and almost a six-point swing right. at the end of the first half. Right. They made a 53-yarder. And the punts, believe it or not, team punt here, they had a 50-yard net on their seven punts. And they, they punted three different times from – their own like 35, 34, and 33, like right on their own side of the field that ended up 
being downed or going out of bounds inside the 10 yard line right. for for the for the opponent. So it's such a weird thing to point out here. It's normally not some this is again this is the reason why my adjusted score is different than the real score is that the Bengals got a, actually a lot of points off of good special teams play in this one. Right. Uh, you know, just low success rate. They're just not being successful. Again, so again, they had the 56-yard touchdown to Tyler Boyd, and that helped a lot. And the thing with Burrow is, we talked about Burrow. He moved up. You said you want to talk about Burrow. So we talked about he's moved up to number one in our grading, yet the thing with him, the thing that I've had issues with, the thing that we do not grade that harshly on, quite honestly, is the sacks, and whether it's on him, whether it's on the offensive line, but still, three more sacks here on only 29 dropbacks. So he is... Second in the NFL behind only Justin Fields in the percentage of uh, his sack rate. So let's talk about Burrow. What what do we think about him? What do we think about the fact that he's number one in our grading right now? Yeah. So it is PFF passing grade. Like you said, Uh, the sacks are a pretty significant detriment. I do think, you know, Robbie Greer tweeted out, loses more EPA than any other quarterback on quarterback stats. So, quarterback sacks so it is significant yeah. right and 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 it's not just the fact that he's getting sacked it's the fact that he is almost inducing uh the pressure or not really capable of handling but the he's pressure strip sacks too right and he's, he's had, had strip, he's sacks, had strip sacks, sacks but he's also he's just like he's he's inviting the pressure in a lot of ways where he looks like a statue in the pocket at certain points and you know we've seen it we've seen him his, his ability to run obviously we love his quarterback rushing prop percentage numbers but uh, he has been a guy that just is like standing there inviting the pressure seems almost seems almost like unaware uh of the pressure in his face or surrounding him and he's taking a lot more sacks than what he needs to he's just not really you know throwing the football away those sorts of things so uh it's tough to see him as you know pff's number one passing grade option here in 2021 maybe it's more reflective of the position as a whole he has been really accurate uh but he has been doing a lot of things like that you personally uh focus on that uh, you know, a lot of other people just don't take into account. That's, you know, the, the turnover where plays, which do, do, do factor into the passing grade, uh, but the sacks, and they've just been uh, way too much for them to be, uh, you know, a top-tier team in the NFL right now from my yeah. perspective. So. I mean, this stuff factors in, but it's just not nearly as weighted as yeah, heavily as right. it is in something it's, like EPA. I mean, so right now, it's, it's Burrow, number one, he's number one in his offensive grade, not just passing grade. Okay, so he's number one okay. in his offensive grade for, for quarterbacks. And his EPA... Per play, he's 16th right. of 34 qualifying quarterbacks who have at least, um, I think it's 200 uh, plays so far this year. So, you know, he's kind of middle middle of the pack. And I think that's the big the big difference is these high leverage plays that he's losing. Uh, he's losing EPA on the sacks and, right. and on the strip sacks and things like that. So what do you think about playoffs for the Bengals? Because... You have this muddled area where now the Browns are looking a little bit struggling there. You had them, you have the Browns, you have the Ravens who are struggling, Bang you have up. the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, maybe they would be your preferred option amongst those choices. Uh, the the I think that the Chargers are should be in a tier above those guys. I don't think the I guess what I would say was I think the Bengals belong in that kind of uh tier, maybe at the top of that tier and not really in the next tier up with the Chargers and some other teams like maybe the Bills. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. I think the Chiefs are obviously in a tier of their own right now. Uh, and then I would put in, you know, the Bills, the Chargers, 
Uh, I am lower on the Patriots than other people, but I do still think they are, you know, that team yeah, in there. The still in there. Um, yeah. And then, and then it depends on, you know, like where oh, do you put the Colts? What about the, I think right? the See, Colts are I, like better than the Bengals too. I, you know? I would yeah. say the Colts are like that, the, maybe the cutoff team that, the, that should still be in that second tier. And then I do think the, the Bengals are probably the team below that, but that's that those are the teams that yeah. the Bengals are going to face in the first round of the playoffs. If they do end up winning the AFC North, right? They're, they, they're going to face that yeah. fifth seed. That's either going to be the Colts or the chargers. And they're not going to be favored in, in either one of those games, right? So they're going to be, you yeah. know, home dogs in the first round of the playoffs, uh, which is, isn't all that enticing. Uh, they just haven't shown it, right? And they don't really have a good defense. I know Joe Burrow has a lot of weapons. We are kind of seeing them kind of regress back to the mean. They were really successful early on in the season with Jamar Chase getting some deep shots connected. And that's kind of, you know, fallen by the wayside a little bit here. So uh, they just haven't performed up to the offensive expectation that I would have, especially with T. Higgins getting back. Uh, so, so I'm concerned about them. I think, you know, they, it looks like they're going to make the playoffs based on PFF simulation, but, um, they're just not a team. I think they're definitely a team that people will probably be excited about facing, uh, in the first round of the playoffs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're a team that can maybe, maybe can squeak out, uh, a wild win card at win. home yeah. the, the, the first week, but uh, yeah, they can't stack wins. They're not ready to stack wins in the playoffs at this point. And the off season for them, I skip ahead a little bit here, but the off season for him, for them, I mean, you just pour whatever you can into offensive line investment. And um, they are a team that, of course, very, very bright future, as I mentioned last week for them. This year, though, going to be difficult to stack some wins. All right, that closes it off for us. Thank you again, Ben, for joining me. Follow Ben on Twitter at PFF underscore Ben Brown. Uh, make sure you're following all of his betting recommendations because, you know, it's just <laughs> that very, very hot, hot hit rate here. And uh, you rate and review the pod if you get a chance. Otherwise, I'll be coming back at you on Friday to review the Thursday night game. I guess I'll also review the Tuesday games as we didn't have a chance to do that as part of this pod. And then we'll be back at you next Tuesday with Ben for another wrap up for the week. Uh, until then, have a good week.